0: You know what? This would be a good time, kids, for you to use those clappers you got. Let's 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 hear them. There we go. All right. Oh, that's an adult. I think they had that one. <laughs> there you go. We appreciate you, worship team, leading us in worship, and and not only that, to clap for. This amazing gift we have that is Jesus that we talk about each and every week, throughout this month, throughout this season. I want to actually tell you, share with you something that is kind of, I think, very intriguing. I want to show for you, as we begin our time together in the Bible, the difference between this Jesus that we've been singing about, that we've been hopefully thinking a lot about this Christmas season and the ruler of the world at the time that Jesus was born. The differences are are pretty staggering. So I want to read to you from that classic uh, rendition of the Christmas account that we find in Luke chapter 2 in the King James Version. So this might sound familiar to you. I'm going to start in verse 1, and it says this, And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. Now, I blow through that verse normally when I read the Christmas account, but uh, the words that jumped out to me in preparation for today are the words, all the world. Like, is there any ruler on this planet right now that is trying to tax the entire world? Uh, We we usually kind of stay within our borders, right? But no, Caesar Augustus saw himself... As the ruler of the world, and this is absolutely the Roman Empire, and yes, it was a staggering um, rulership, if you will. It was a big empire. So he sent out a decree that everybody on the entire planet was going to have to pay taxes. And he goes on to talk about that in verse 2. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria, and all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was the, of the house and the lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. So they go to Bethlehem because this is where Joseph is from. He is from the house and lineage of David. This is where they had to go so that they could go pay taxes to a man who saw himself as deity, the ruler of the world, Caesar Augustus. Now, I want to fast forward for you and me today in the Bible. We're going to fast forward a minimum of 30 years. So at least 30 years later, this is what I'm going to read to you that happens. Now, before I read this to you, uh, let me sort of set the context for you. Jesus is now at least 30 years old, and 12 men that we call his disciples, often referred to as the 12, These 12 men followed him, and they they left everything to follow him. And two of these men had nicknames. They were called the Sons of Thunder, James and John. Uh, Based on everything we know about them, they were great followers of Jesus Christ. They were passionate about uh, doing what he told them to do and helping others to know of the good news of Jesus, that grace and forgiveness of sins was available through him. And uh, they were strong leaders. So there was this moment where they pulled Jesus aside and they said, Hey, Jesus, when you establish the fullness of your kingdom, can we sit next to you? He he can be on your left side. I can be on your right side. We want to rule with you. We want to be your right-hand man and your left-hand man. All right? So this is the conversation that James and John, the sons of thunder, had with Jesus. So let me read for you from Mark chapter to chapter 10, verse 41. When the 10 heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. This is, you know, a lot of things haven't changed since the first century. What? They're trying to get some power with Jesus. You know, they're trying to become his favorites. What's up with that? They got mad at him. Verse 42, Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles are Lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. And I love this verse. Remember this throughout the rest of this week of Christmas. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's why he came. Now, what's interesting is to line that up next to Caesar Augustus. This is a man who ruled the world, and because he was the rule of the world, he did this amazing act of asking everyone on the planet to come pay him money. Go to your hometown, sign up, and then you get to pay me money. But then you have, on that first Christmas, the King of kings and the Lord of lords who had the power to do absolutely anything he wanted with a blink of an eye. And the one thing he ultimately chose to do for all the world was not tax them, but serve them and die for them. I mean, even the ones who didn't believe in him. Which was a lot of people and still is a lot of people. Think about that for a moment, the difference there. Man, you and I, when we get just a wee, 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 wee little bit of power, what do we do with that power? Well, we use it usually to get something that we want. And that's just kind of a normal human reaction. And that's what makes this so amazing. This Christmas account that Jesus came, King of kings, Lord of lords, legions of angels, to do his bidding at any single moment, and yet he was a humble servant. So different than any other human ruler that has ever existed. And friends, this is why we've been saying throughout this month, and we'll say it again today, Jesus is the best gift ever. Ever. And, and see, it's not just because he's an awesome guy worthy of our worship, because even as I read that Christmas account over and over this month, I'm like, man, Jesus really is awesome. He is so awesome. But it's more than that, because if you just park there and say he's awesome, well, you are a fan of Jesus, but being a fan of Jesus uh, really doesn't do much in your life. But when you become a follower of Jesus, it changes everything, and that's why he came. He didn't come so you could see how awesome he is. He came to offer you the gift of his salvation. He came to offer you abundant life. He came to offer you eternal life that goes on and on forever and ever. John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, so that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. If there's anything I've learned in this crazy year of 2020 is how precious life is and how in the grand scheme of things, no matter how long you get to live, it's pretty short. It's a vapor, the Bible calls it in the Old Testament. But you know what? Because of Jesus Christ, this is only the beginning. We were created for so much more than a handful of decades on this ball called planet Earth. We were created to be with God forever. Forever. We were created to live an abundant life until we enter into eternal life. And he offers that to all of you, to every single person, no matter who you are, what you've done, where you've been, no matter what your past is, he freely offers you and me salvation, abundant life, eternal life. He really is the best gift ever. And looking at this difference between him and caesar augustus reminds me of the best gift ever that you can give someone we've been going through these five sayings these five things that you can say to someone this is based on gordon mcdonald 80 year old pastor and author he he offers another thing that you can say to the people around you that are very very life giving this is the only one of the five things that is actually in the form of a question One of the best gifts you can ever give someone is your sincere how can I help you? How can I help you? That's a great gift to give somebody. And actually, when you say it and you mean it. So listen, I want to talk to my kiddos in the room, my teenagers in the room. Focus here for just a little bit with me. I want to give you a huge disclaimer. If you're watching and listening at home, and there's kids and students, you're watching this, huge disclaimer. If you were to think this through a little bit and say, you know what? I don't have a whole lot of money. I want to get my parents, my grandparents, something for Christmas. This would be a huge thing to do, to give to them, right? doesn't cost you anything out of your wallet, but it's awesome. But here's my disclaimer. If you decide you're going to do this, make sure you have a phone in your hand, and 911 on speed dial. Because I have this feeling that some of of these parents will be so shocked that there will be a medical event that happens if you walk up to them and look eyeball to eyeball and say, Mom, how can I help you today? Could be an amazing thing. I, I encourage you to test it out, but be careful with it, all right? Listen, that really is a powerful thing. Think about how many times people in your life have actually just, out of the blue, unsolicited. I'm not talking about while you're holding 30 Kroger bags in your hand and someone says, how can I help you? Which, by the way, that's actually offensive. How can you help me grab one of these bags, right? But I'm talking about out of the blue, unsolicited, where it almost makes no sense for someone to come up to you and say, how can I help you? I want to tell you what you're actually saying when you ask that question. One of the things you're saying is, I am not here for me. I am here for you. In this moment, I'm not about me right now. I'm about you. I'm not here for me. I'm here for you. That's one thing you're saying. A second thing you're saying is, I sincerely want to make your life easier and better. I am motivated to do something that's going to make your life better, your life easier. So how can I do that? I don't, I'm not sure I know how, so you help me. Help me to know how I can make your life better and easier. What a subservient thing to say, and that's what's encompassed in your sincere how, I can, I, how can I help you. And here's the third thing you're saying. I am ready to sacrifice time and energy for you. Listen, that's huge. Some of the best gifts you can give someone is your time and your energy, like I am at the ready for you to answer this question. How can I help you? And well, once I hear your response, I'm at the ready to actually respond and take the time that is needed and the effort and energy that is needed to help you, to serve you. That is an enormous gift. That is way more valuable than anything you can purchase on Amazon right now. To actually say, no, it's me, I I am ready to help you, I want to make your life better, I want to make it easier, I'm not here for me in this moment, I am here for you, how can I help you? What a powerful thing to give someone, and it is way too rare, isn't it? When is the last time this has happened to you besides the Chick-fil-A drive-thru, all right? When is the last time that someone in your circle of relationships, out of the blue, unsolicited, without it looking like you're actually struggling in that moment, to just come up to you and say, is there anything I can do to help you? How can I serve you right now? This is powerful. It's an amazing gift that you can give someone. You know what? I'm going to give you a little spoiler because we only have one more week left in this series. We're going to finish it a week from today. And if you're like me and you're thinking, okay, there's a series here, best gift ever, five things that you can say to someone that is very life-giving. And as I think through what we've talked about so far, I bet if you're like me, I like to try to predict what I think the answer is going to be. I'd be predicting that since we've not heard these words taught about yet, that next week, the grand finale, it's got to be those three words that we should try to say to people around us. Three words that you've heard all over the Hallmark Channel all season long. I love you. But, spoiler alert, that's not what we're going to talk about next week. It did not make the list. I want to talk to Gordon McDonald and say, why did you leave I love you off the top five lists? But I have a theory on it. My theory is that the words I love you get thrown around so much And I don't want to take them, I don't want to minimize that. I do know some people that I know personally that really struggle saying those words. But for the most part, these are words that we can say. But without action, don't have a lot of meaning. And I wonder if if we look back on all the things we've learned throughout this series, if maybe those things actually action out, verbalize out the words I love you. Maybe that's why Gordon says, hey, we kind of have a feeling you're saying those words, but these are the words you really need. Is there any better way to say I love you than to say, how can I help you? How can I make your life better and easier right now? I am not here for me. I am here for you. Is there a better way to say I love you than to say I'm here to serve you? Is there a better way to say I love you than to lay down your life for someone. And that brings me back to what Jesus did. It's why he was born. He was born to serve. And think about this for just a moment. Is there a better life to model on this earth than the life of Jesus Christ? Like, even if you think there is, you're afraid to say there is, right? Like, you're like no, I'm not going to answer that any different than, yeah, Jesus is probably the best life to model. If there's anybody that lived the best life they could have possibly lived on this earth, it was probably Jesus Christ. And if we would at least logically and theoretically agree with that, then why would you and I think that a better life to live would be one where other people serve us? that we would like to live our lives in such a way where one day we, we really get what we want deep down inside. That there would be people that would actually help us and make our lives better and easier. We don't actually say that in our minds, but we often strive to accomplish that with everything that we are doing in life. Why would we think that living a life differently than Jesus would actually be a better life for us? It's not. If the Son of God, if the King of kings and the Lord of lords, if the one through which all things have been created and are sustained in this very moment right now, if that one lived his life to serve others, then we can't upgrade that, guys. You can't get a better upgrade for your own life. What if, the best way to actually live your life was to start looking around you and carving out time and energy to serve the people God has put in your life. I wonder if getting that far outside of our own selves, getting that far outside of our own hearts and minds and opinions and rhythms, if we get so far outside of ourselves that we start living life that way, if we'll start seeing the anxiety fade away and the depression fade away, if we start feeling the joy begin to ebb up inside, that it doesn't matter my circumstances so much anymore because you know what? All I'm going to do is what I can do right here in this moment to help someone else. And that's a different kind of way of living. And if you're praying for and hoping for some kind of spiritual awakening to happen in your community, in your family, in northern Kentucky, in our country, in the world perhaps, I believe it begins with living a life like this. We can pray for it. Let's continue to do that. But what if we start actually living the life of servitude that Jesus lived too? What if the world saw a movement of people laying down their lives for each other? That would change everything. I don't think the world has seen that yet. But maybe in the midst of the craziest year ever, hopefully the beginning of an even better year than this year, we could spark such a spiritual awakening. And here's how I believe we can do it. A couple of next steps that I invite you to take today. First one is this. Let Jesus help you. And this is kind of another way of saying, hey, if you've not done it yet, ask Jesus to save you. Ask him to forgive you of your sins. Become a child of God today. He was born to die for you. Open up the gift today and believe in him. Become a child of God. He paid the price. It's just up to you to receive it. But I want to go beyond that. So many people say, and I checked that box. Isn't that great? That box is checked. Now, what do I do? (laughs) Now, what do I do? Let me tell you what you do. You continue to let Jesus help you every moment of every day. I like how the Apostle Peter wrote it in the letters he wrote in the New Testament. He says, Return to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. I don't know about you. I want that for my life. I want Jesus' help. Not just to check off the salvation for eternity box, but I need him to help me today. I need him to help me tonight. I need him to help me when I wake up in the morning and help me through tomorrow as well. And then if I get to live another day, I need his help for that day too. Friends, that's why he came. He didn't come to give you a eternal life that is just a quantity of life, but eternal life is also a quality of life, an abundant life. And that is only attained by you letting go of your current life and looking to him to give you life, to guide you every step of the way. And let me tell you this, if you live your life that way, he will lead you into the same kind of life he lived, a life of serving others. Which brings me to the second step. Start offering help frequently to those God has put in your life. And he's put a lot of people in your life. Parents, kids. Hey, parents, what if you said that to your kids? I gave that as an example. What if you came to your child and said, how can I help you? What is it that I can do to help you right now? You're like, "Uh, uh-uh, man, I already do enough, Right. I hear you, I hear you, but this is going deeper than that. It's going deeper than that. What can I do to really help you right now? You might be surprised the answer you might get from your kid, that what they've been longing for more than anything else is not for you to provide for them, but to just spend time with them, actually. What if you asked, how can I help you to your boss? Bosses, what if you went down the org chart? And found some people that directly report to you and you approach them and you say, how can I make your life better? Is there something I can do to make your life easier? Listen, this is a different way to live. With God's help, we can live it. And I have a feeling that if we begin to live our lives this way, it will change everything from the inside out. Will you take a step with him today? Bow with me as we pray. And as I pray out loud, if you've never called upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and asked him to save you, asked him to forgive you of your sins, would you do that right here, right now? Just call upon him and say, Jesus, right now, I believe, I believe that you were born to die and lay down your life for me, and I want your forgiveness, and I need you in my life. Would you please take my old life and give me new, abundant and eternal life right here today. The Bible declares that if you ask him, that he gives that to you freely. It's the best news ever. Will you ask him now? Lord, you've reminded us of the kind of life that you lived, but also reminded us that this is the life you've called us to live. That one of the best gifts we can ever give the people around us is to ask them, how can I help you? Oh God, I pray right now that you give us the courage and the selflessness that we need to start asking this question frequently to the people around us. And Father, maybe if we start serving others around us consistently with determination, that we'll see our own life changed for the better and the lives around us changed as well. Lord, Thank you for sending your son, Jesus, so that we could have the best gift ever of a relationship with you and a life lived in servitude for you. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, thank you all so much for worshiping with us, whether it's online or right here in this room. We appreciate you taking time out of this Christmas season to gather and worship. Now, if you took a step of faith today, or maybe you're thinking about it, or maybe you're going through something, you just need somebody to be praying for you, please let us know. All you got to do is take out these little rectangles that are in your pocket and text the word GIFT to our church number, 859-356-3162. Let us know that you could use some prayer and some encouragement. Let us know if you have begun to follow Jesus so that we can celebrate that decision with you, okay? Hey, you are loved by him. Everything that God did that first Christmas, he did it to be in a relationship with you. So as you walk out of this room and as you get ready to click off and go go offline in a moment, know this. Jesus loves you, and he really is the best gift ever, all right? God bless you guys. Have a great rest of your day.